God reigns. All right. Well, go ahead and grab a seat. It is wonderful to be with you today, to be worshiping God together today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout. We're wrapping up a, a mini-series, a three-week series on the purposes that God has given us as a church these are the purposes that we pursue as a church. It's actually how we budget, how we kind of organize our, our team, our ministries. It's also, we believe, the, the purposes that God has for us as individuals. As we are uh, invited to live this life that we are given as a gift. And as I begin today, i just start with a visual here. It's the visual of an hourglass. This is an hourglass, and for the purposes of our discussion this morning, this hourglass is going to represent the time that we have each been given here on planet Earth. So this is our life hourglass right here. I'm just going to go ahead and turn it over, and it's going to start ticking away right now, and it represents the incredible brief, the, the very short amount of time that we have been given here on planet Earth. By the way, you're welcome for the reminder that our time is ticking away, right? And I, I just want to bring all of this up because it is a challenge to us to remember that we've only got one shot at this thing. We've only got one crack at this thing that we've been given called life and how we choose to live our life, it matters, matters a lot. So I want to begin with a quote from Frederick Buechner, a theologian that I actually really enjoy uh, it reading, very poetic as he writes. He says this, one life on this earth is all that we get, and the obvious conclusion would seem to be that at the very least we are fools if we do not live it as fully and bravely and beautifully as we can. If we do not live it as fully and as bravely and as beautifully as we can. Now, at Overlake, who we look to is the person of Jesus. If you've been around for Overlake for a while, you know that's who we look at. We want to look at Jesus. We want to see how he lived. We want to see what he taught. We want to see what the, 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 the secret, rather, that he unveiled to us about what was important in life. And the reason we want to do that is because nobody has lived more fully or more bravely or more beautifully than Jesus lived. You know, when Jesus was 12 years old... His parents found him in the temple, and he said, I must be about my father's business. And then 21 years later, on the cross of Calvary, he said the words, it is finished. He fulfilled the mission that God had given him to pursue. He was, in fact, the embodiment of these purposes. He knew, uh, or, or rather modeled, this life of loving God. He modeled a life of loving people. And he modeled the life of serving the world. And, and this is what he says. Jesus tells us, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Right? For the, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, serving as love's body, serving as love's hands and feet, serving was the mission that Jesus came to accomplish. And Jesus accomplished the mission that God had given to him. And as his time on this earth was coming to a close, he actually prayed for his disciples. He prayed to God for his disciples, and he was commissioning them with the same mission. Look what it says here in John 17, 18. 
in the same way Jesus is praying to the Father, in the same way that you gave me a mission in this world, I give them a mission in the world. So he's not only saying that to his disciples, he's saying that to his followers today. In the same way that Jesus had a mission in the world, we also have a mission in this world. And the mission that we have is the mission that Jesus lived, a mission to serve the world. He didn't come to be served. He came to give his life in service. And so that really is our challenge. If you're filling in the blanks, we'll unpack a little bit of this. The first is that our mission is continuing the mission of Jesus. Our mission is continuing his mission. We are to live the call that God has given us. And 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I'd love to have you circle the words, we speak for Christ. Because that is a powerful phrase, is it not? This thought that we actually speak on behalf of Jesus, that we are ambassadors on behalf of Jesus. We're seeking to help people get reconnected to God who loves them, who created them, and who wants a relationship with them that starts in this time, and, or this lifetime rather, and lasts for eternity. This is continuing the mission that Jesus began. Now, I, I want you to understand that that we are acting for Jesus when we express his love to a hurting world. But it's really difficult for us to come up with that energy and that strength and that love and that serving on our own. That we cannot muster this up on our own. In fact, we talked about this last week, that we are actually like solar panels. And we have to soak in the love and, and the, the grace and the service of the Lord to us. We just, we receive that like a solar panel soaks in the sun. And then we convert that into the energy we need in order to care for and pray for and love and to serve the world. And so that's our call that we would soak in his love so that we might be able to serve others in love. Jesus says this in Acts 1.8. It's his, some of his last commands to his disciples and again to the followers today of Jesus. And he says this, And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus, when he was saying this to his disciples, they were, they were in Jerusalem. And so it's important for us as we recognize sort of contextually what Jesus is saying to us today. Jesus is saying, look, you're going to start to be my witnesses in the city where you are currently. That that's where this whole thing begins. That, that where you live in your neighborhood and where you go to work and where you're involved in school and, and the community coffee shop. And, and right now, the parish that you're in, this is to use Overlake language, you're to bloom where you're planted. And right now in your parish, you're to be the witnesses of Jesus speaking on his behalf and continuing his mission in your parish. But not just there. Then he says, in Judea, right? The, the idea is the surrounding region. And so for us, that'd be the greater Seattle area. That's Judea for us. And then he says, in Samaria. And for the disciples, this would have been a challenge. They, were, they would have crossed 
cultural lines. They would have to cross religious lines. In some ways, there's even language lines. And, and for us, that's the challenge. How is it that we are able to cross cultural lines, religious lines, and even language lines in order to communicate the love of God? And then Jesus says, to the ends of the earth. What is that for us? Duval. Duval, no, I'm, I'm kidding, actually. I love Duval, by the way. Any, anybody here from Duval? I see that hand. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Hey, I got nothing but love for Duval. Uh, I, I love riding my bike out through Duval this week, by the way. It was gorgeous sunshine. We've already had our summer, friends. It was last week. It was wonderful. And I was riding my bike out through Duval, which I love, and the flowers are in bloom, and you can smell the cut alfalfa and the steaming manure wherever you go. It's just lovely. But no, no, Jesus says to the ends of the earth, and actually what he means there is the ends of the earth. He's saying you can go everywhere, and you can tell all people, you can be my witnesses, continuing my mission everywhere. That is the desire that nobody miss out on the love and the grace that is offered through Jesus, right? This is such a great, great privilege that our mission is continuing the mission of Jesus. And then the next truth here, our mission is a wonderful privilege. It's an honor to be on mission for Jesus and with Jesus. This is an honor. And I bring it up. I think it's important for us to, to mark this because sometimes, friends, and I, I don't want to speak for all of us, but sometimes I know it can be a temptation to start viewing God's call on your life as a bit of a grind. It's just a little bit of a drag that, oh, oh I got to obey God again. I, I have to, to do what he calls me to do. I have to share. I have to evangelize. Like, whatever it is that, that we just particularly don't feel like doing in that moment, we can count it a bit of a burden. And it's good to be reminded that our mission is a privilege. It's an honor to be on mission with Jesus. See, the scripture says this. Jesus is telling his, his disciples, and again, he's telling us, the greatest among you, must be a servant, he says. And then look at this. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Just think about that. That in this lifetime, in the short time, as the sand ticks through the hourglass here, so run the days of our lives, right? <laughs> that, 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 that the, the idea is that if we exalt ourselves in this lifetime, Jesus says, oh, then that there's going to be a humbling that occurs. But if we humble ourselves now and serve, there is an exaltation coming. Now, can you imagine the Lord of the universe exalting you because of your humble service for him? Can you even get your mind around this idea that before all of heaven on the last day that Jesus would lift you up and cheer you on and say, she did what I called her to do. She continued the mission. He fulfilled the mission, the purpose that I put him on earth to fulfill. Can you imagine being exalted by Jesus himself? What an honor, friends. You know, we've got long, lifelong missionaries that are serving here at Overlake in our midst. The walkers are dear saints among us. And if you have a chance to meet them, you will find that they are so humble and thankful 
that God invited them into the work of showing others his love. You know, sometimes we come at service or we come at life, we even come at faith from a view of entitlement. But they are so far on the other end of the spectrum, they're just so humbly grateful to be a part of the work that God's called them to. Pastor Josh was just over in Ethiopia working with and training a a group of Ethiopian pastors over there. And he came back and he was just so moved at the the humble way in which they served Jesus and and the intense conditions that they served Jesus in, in a nation that's just riddled with corruption and in, in a Poverty everywhere. I mean, they, they, they walk everywhere they have to go, and they live in such humble circumstances. And then Josh was just telling us, but yet the joy that comes from them as they serve Jesus, the incredible honor they, they assume that it is, they know that it is to, to be on mission with him. And friends, by proxy, it's such an honor for us to be on mission with humble servants like them who are on mission with Jesus. See, we got to be reminded, we have to keep this front and center, that it is an honor and a privilege to be on mission with Jesus. The next truth is that our mission is helping people know Jesus. Our mission's helping people know Jesus. You could say that your mission is just helping people, but uh, by helping people, what you're seeking to do is to help them know Jesus, to help them see Jesus, to help them recognize it's Jesus' love that's flowing through you. And this, friends, is the greatest gift that we can give. I, just a little mental picture here. I, I want you to imagine that you've got a friend, and, and your friend is, for whatever reason, in the middle of the street, and a bus is barreling down. And you've got an opportunity to push your friend out of the the way of that bus to safety. And if you don't do that, right, if you withhold that moment and you let your friend get hit by a bus, that's tragic, right? I mean, that's horrific to think that you had a chance, but, but you let your friend get hit by a bus. That's tragedy. And if you let your friend... Root for the Patriots. That's tragic as well. It's just, it's just ruthless. And if you have a, a friend who is a Patriots fan and you let them get hit by a bus, also a sin. So, like, just so we're clear. But I, I, I just want you to imagine, right? And you could take it even further. Like, oh, I'd, I've discovered the cure for cancer, but I'm not going to tell anyone. It's horrific. They, I, 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 I know how to defeat this, this Zika virus, and, and yet I withhold the information. And so it, it just sweeps. And do, do you see, right? That, 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 I get it, that if I, I know the cure, but I don't share it, that, that I'm being selfish, that there, there's a problem there. In the same way, to, to withhold the love of Jesus to to not share about the grace and the forgiveness poured out to all. The invitation is for everyone to be a part of God's love, and and yet we withhold it. You know, I don't don't want anyone to ever come to you and say, "I, I served on the PTA board with you for four years, and you never invited me to church. I was in your work group for 20 months straight, 
And you never once shared about the source of the joy. I knew you were filled with joy, but I didn't know why. And why didn't you share? Or I was in your history class for two semesters straight, and you never once talked about the hope that you have in Jesus. See, I don't want us to be withholding. I, I want us to be sharing. I want us to be open. I want us to be free because the, the grace of Jesus has poured out on us freely. And so we need to be free with our love and free with the way we serve and free with the way we invite, free with the way that we share. And of course, friends, we talked about this before. I don't want any of us to be obnoxious. I don't want any of us to hit people over the head with the Bible. I don't want any of us to, you know, put a list of our unsaved friends on a shirt and say, you know, I'm praying for, and then when they accept the Lord, we just cross them off, you know, like I, I, nothing goofy. Like that's not what we're about. But, but friends, we, we're, we're to care for one another, right? To, to share the love that, that we have, the love that flows through us from Christ, and, and we're to earn the right to be heard through the quality of our integrity, the quality of our faith, the quality of our friendships. Once you've earned the right to be heard, then it's up to us to share. It's up to us to invite, right? Don't keep it a secret. Don't keep it quiet. Now, a couple things I want to say sort of as I wrap this point up. Number one, it's, it's just the word together, that this is something that we're all in together. This is part of the reason why the, the church is the family of God, and we're on this same mission together, because if you feel like it's all on your shoulders, it's incredibly isolating. And if you feel like you're the only person, you're the one that's personally responsible for every single step in your friend or your loved one's spiritual journey, that, that's wrong. That's not true. But together, we can work Together we can support, together we can pray, together we can encourage, and together, the family of Jesus, we can help the friends of ours and the loved ones of ours along our spiritual journey. That's why the church functions together. And the second thing that I want to bring up, it's not just this word together, but it's, it's this word. The word is that, and you might want to write it down, do what you can do. Do what you can do. See, sometimes it gets a, a, a burden. Sometimes we feel like there's a guilt trip placed on us that we're not evangelizing enough. It's all on my shoulders. And, and so the challenge is, no, no, you can't do everything. So do what you can do. That you would pray, God, give me an opportunity to share a word. You show me the right opportunity to invite to church. You, and, and just be ready. Kind of have your spiritual eyes open and then when God provides a moment, you do what you can do. And then you release it to the Lord. You plant a seed and then you release it. Just do what you can do. But again, this is the mission that we have, continuing the mission of Jesus. The mission that we have, it's, it's helping people to know Jesus, to understand the love that we have in him. The next fill in here, our mission gives our lives meaning. Our mission gives our lives meaning. We have... We have purpose. We discover this meaning and incredible significance because of the mission that God has given us. You know, for six years, I was my son's recreational soccer coach, right? We were on a rec team. I was the rec coach, and we were pretty good. I'm just saying, you probably read about us, you know, in the papers, and, uh, <laughs> untrue, uh, we, we, 
you know, I would say we got pretty good. I, they started as kindergartners, and there were a few of the players that would throw themselves into the soccer goal uh, as, as a, you know, goal! No, buddy, you get, get out of the goal. You put the ball in the goal. So we, we started at kind of a base level, and then over the next six years, you know, by the time they were in fifth, sixth grade, they, they were pretty good. They, they generally moved the ball in the appropriate direction down the field. And they often shot the ball at the appropriate goal so that it would count for their team if it went in. But occasionally, this happened at least once or twice, the boys on the field would get discombobulated and they would end up shooting in their own goal and scoring. This happened, by the way, despite world-class coaching. <laughs> and I bring this up because it is a, it's a perfect picture of how sometimes what we do is we end up shooting for the wrong goals in life. We know that the sand's ticking through the hourglass, and yet what we end up doing is we think our life is going to have meaning if we get more accolades, if we have more accomplishments, if somehow we amass more materially, then we'll have meaning. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that it's not about what you amass, and it's not about the accolades, and it's not about the achievements. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Acts 20, 24. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. The wonderful grace of God. Sharing that with others is what gave his life meaning. And in the same way his mission gave his life meaning, your mission gives your life meaning. My mission gives my life meaning. The greatest gift that we could ever give is to serve another person, to serve a community, to serve a people, and then to see them responding to the love that we're trying to share through Jesus and receiving that love, embracing that love. The greatest gift that we can give. This is what gives our lives meaning. And how do we do this? How do we share? How do we tell others? How do we serve the world? This is how. Galatians 5, 6 says, What is important is faith expressing itself in love. I would love for you to circle three words. Faith expressing love. Faith expressing love. That's how we serve. That's how we love. That's how we share. And at Overlake, we serve the world. We serve the world by unleashing hope for vulnerable people. And we do this several ways. We do this through orphan care, for caring for vulnerable children, supporting foster and adoptive families, proactively serving street kids, and helping end the trauma that sends them to the streets in the first place. We do this by combating human trafficking. We do this by engaging in church planting. These are some signature issues that we embrace not only locally but abroad as well. And there are many more ways that uh, individuals in the Overlake family are seeking to embrace their mission and to serve the world. 
Blackaby issues a challenge. He says, you look where God is at work in the world, and that's where you get involved. His exact quote is this, watch to see where God is working and join him in his work. One of the ways that we see God is at work in the world today is wherever people are going through types of painful or difficult transitions. And we all go through painful transitions in life, moving from one neighborhood to a new neighborhood or new city or state or country, moving from civilian life into military life or vice versa, moving from career into retirement or from employment to unemployment, from being single to being married or from being married to being single again, from not having kids to having young kids in the home to being an empty nester, from being surrounded by loved ones to the loss of loved ones. In addition to all these transitions, anyone who is forced to flee with their family from oppression or violence or religious persecution is in transition. I know a few families here at Overlake, and the reason why you're here at Overlake is because in your country of origin, there was ruthless persecution or violence, and you fled literally with the clothes on your back to save your family's life. And now you're here with us today, and I want you to hear me say we're glad you're here. We're glad you're with us. See, we know when people are going through difficult life transitions, they're both in need of God's love and they're open to God's love. And you might want to write those words down. Transition opens up two things. One, need of God's love. Two, openness to God's love. And what this means personally for us is when a person relocates into your neighborhood after a horrific divorce, they're going through painful transition, and they're in need, and they're open, and it's a perfect opportunity for you to live your mission. When a person has to sell a house in your neighborhood because they've become unemployed suddenly, they're going through a difficult and painful transition, so they're in need, and they're open. It's an opportunity for you to live your mission. Our guests in our safe parking ministry, this is a ministry designed to provide care and assistance for those in transition who are unhoused due to whatever circumstances, and it's an opportunity for us as a church to live our mission. And we know that displaced families, due to violence, due to unrest, due to civil war, or due to ISIS, they are in transition, and they are obviously in need, and they are open. Friends, they are so open. And this is a part of what we're seeking to care for and to pray for those families that are refugees primarily fleeing violence and unrest in the Middle East. We want to unleash hope for vulnerable people. And right now, who in the world is more vulnerable than Syrian refugees? Today on my Facebook wall, I posted a video through Relevant Magazine. And the video is specifically focused on a child, one of 8 million children who are displaced right now. See, I I recognize that by bringing up refugees and this whole topic that maybe some of you have uh, just some confliction in emotion and and there really is a fierce dialogue that's happening in, in many arenas around our nation today. And part of what makes the dialogue about refugees so fierce is that there's a lot of opinion about what we can and should do to be engaged in this issue. And I get that. I get that there's a variety of opinions. That's That's fine. But what makes it fierce is this, and you might want to write this down. What makes it fierce is the word NIMBY, N-I-M-B-Y, NIMBY. 
And what NIMBY stands for is this, not in my backyard. Not in my backyard. And, and because we have visceral reactions to this issue of not in my backyard, I don't want this problem in my backyard. I don't want this issue in my backyard. It, by the way, it happens all over the place. If you ever go to a town meeting and they're talking about putting a, uh, you know, a prison in town, uh, it's going to be not in my backyard. Or building a nuclear power plant is not in my backyard. Or we, what, like, you know, building a water treatment facility, not in my backyard. Like, whatever. We, we don't want anything in our backyard. <laughs> but here's the challenge, right? Again, and I'm, I'm not talking politically. I don't care where you land politically. Here, the issue, I'm talking to you if you're a Christ follower. The issue is that we care for people who are, who are in need. We care for people who are in difficulty. We why? Because we're called to serve the world. We're called to serve people who are in the midst of difficult transition. And, and this is where God's working. So we want to be engaged where he's working as well. So again, I get that there's a, a bunch of different opinions about, you know, what we should do, how we should do. I'm just talking about your heart. Right? There is no NIMBY when it comes to your heart. And when it comes to your heart, we see Jesus. Jesus calls us to serve the world, the marginalized, the displaced the forgotten people. That's where Jesus calls us to engage and certainly at least to pray, certainly at least to care. And so that's what we're gonna seek to do. That's what we're gonna be challenged to do today. I found this quote from Campolo. He says, Jesus never says to the poor, come and find the church, but he says to those of us in the church, go into the world and find the poor, the hungry, the homeless, the imprisoned. And I say all this just to remind us that you know the person that we serve as Lord and Savior, Jesus himself, you know he was a refugee. You know that his family in his early life, they had to flee Bethlehem because of political and religious violence in their town. Herod had sent the soldiers in. They were slaughtering all of the males under two years old. So to save his life, Joseph and Mary fled Bethlehem. And they eluded Herod and his forces, and they went down to Egypt. They were refugees, political and religious refugees. And so anytime a Christ follower reaches out in love or cares for or prays for a refugee, we are caring for Jesus in disguise. We are, we are loving Jesus in disguise. And so we're going to talk about just one way, and it's a really small way. It's a way all of us can be involved in this issue today. But first, I want you to go ahead and watch this video. Say 
everyone. It's a hard video to watch. My name is Giselle Gonzalez, and I'm here today because Overlake deeply cares for refugees. A few months ago, I was invited to join a small research team that traveled from Greece to Germany uh, along the entire refugee route to document the stories of refugees, locals, and volunteers. I was invited onto the team to be the writer, the videographer, photographer, and social media storyteller, mostly because I think I'm under 25. <laughs> and we traveled the entire route and heard stories that you would not believe. I had come onto this team being, frankly, overwhelmed by this entire crisis because all I heard was statistics and breaking news stories that just had no, I had no context for. And so when we were on this trip in each country, we heard stories of such pain and heartbreak that it would stop your heart. I remember sitting in Athens and um, getting tea served to me by this little Syrian man with a bent back who uh, was so humble and so kind. And only after the fact did I learn that he was serving me uh, when he had just lost his entire family in Aleppo in Syria when a barrel bomb fell on his house when he was having tea with his own family. And he went into the, the other room and that's when the bomb fell and the only thing he had left of his family was the cup he was holding in his hand. I also heard stories of uh, a woman with her three children and her husband. They were Kurdish and they had fled Iran when ISIS came to their village and started beheading the young boys, just like this little boy, and young men in the village so that they could take the women as sex slaves. And they were able to flee and get out, but not before ISIS took all of their official documents. So they were smuggled across the Aegean Sea in the middle of the night and they made their way to Athens and they were given one document uh, and they were sent up to the Greek-Macedonian border. And at this border, they were forced to wait for seven days and seven nights, watching hundreds of other families make their way across the border, all because the color of the stamp on the document that they had, it was blue instead of black. And that's just one story. And those two stories times that by millions. And you might get a picture of how people just like you and I are suffering and then on the other side, I also heard stories of such radical hope in the way that God is moving. And friends, God is moving in the midst of this crisis. We heard that repeated again and again from the entire route. There's one man um, that I just love his story. His name is Elvis, which I also love. And he is a Bosnian guy. And all of his friends, they grew up going to church in Bosnia. And they were living in this tiny little town in Croatia called Slovenski Brod. And just one day last summer, people started arriving by the thousands. So they would get four to 14,000 refugees a day coming in, and there was absolutely no infrastructure to take care of refugees. So he looked to his friends, and they were like, well, we know that God calls us to love the widowed and the orphan and the foreigners, so we have to do all that we can. So they did what they could with no training, and they worked around the clock trying to rally the European church behind them to help give any sort of love and support that they could to the refugees who were coming to their town. And they ended up doing such a good job that the president of Croatia ended up calling Elvis and asking him to run that camp, which is now the best run camp in all of Croatia. And that's just one guy who stepped into God's story because he saw the great need. He didn't ignore it and he didn't pretend that it wasn't happening. He just said, here I am, Lord, and him and his buddies did all that they could. 
So I came back from this trip, and I was going through all of those stories and writing them down, and I just kept on seeing this one thread that connected all of the refugee stories, this idea that people feel forgotten. You know, a news story can capture our attention for two hours, and then we move on to the next thing. But for a refugee, this is their life, their entire, everything that they know that's been shaken up, and yet the world is turning away so quickly. And so I came back and I thought, okay, we can throw money at it, but that only does so much, you know. What can we do that can really show that we are with people and we love them? And so this campaign called the Not Forgotten Letter Writing Campaign was born. And we just sent out via social media, you know, for the month of April, send in any letters of hope and encouragement that you can, and we'll get them to a refugee. And we actually have a team going in two weeks from Overlake to the Greek-Macedonian border to deliver these uh, letters. But within one month, we got well over a thousand letters from all over the world. We got letters from Seattle to Iowa to one woman in Texas who wrote 160 letters by hand just because she wanted to reach out to refugees. We had groups in the UK, a woman from uh, Kenya who wrote to me. And then my favorite is um, a group of Catholic seminarians in Rome who wrote this letter and sent this photo. And in that image it just says, we are praying for you in Arabic. And this is what they wrote. Greetings from Rome. We want to tell you that we appreciate your heroic strength and faith. Many will never know what you suffer. Mothers, fathers, daughters, sons, husbands and wives. But God knows. God suffers. God cries with you. We don't know your names, but we pray for you. We also ask that you send your names in a picture, if that is possible, to be able to pray more with more knowledge. Thank you for everything, and remember that there may be a lot of violence and hatred in the world, but it is up to us to be drops of sweetness and love in what sometimes appears to be an ocean of bitterness. Love always wins. God bless. And so a message like that, echoed a thousand times over, that's the kind of message that we can bring to the world and to refugees my prayer is that we will all be drops of sweetness and love in an ocean uh, of hate and bitterness. And so thank you all for letting me share with you today. Thank you, Giselle. That is wonderful. And friends, so often the right thing to do is just the next thing. And so here's the next thing. I'd love you to grab this card that's in your handout. We, we put one of these in all of the handouts today. And I just want to read to you what it says on the front. And then we're going to have a chance just to respond in this moment. I'd love for us to, to maybe even double the amount of cards that Giselle has already received. But the front simply says this. You are not forgotten. A friend in the United States is thinking and praying for you. I know that it says that because it says it in English as well as in Arabic. But then what I'd love for you to do just right now, go ahead and grab the pen in front of you or one in your purse and uh, just, just write a little note. Tell, tell them you're praying for them. Tell, tell them that a friend in the United States cares about their plight. D tell them whatever it is that Jesus is placing on your heart today. But let's go ahead and let's write a quick card right now as we respond.
As I wrap up our time together, I just want to close by a quote from Phil Ling. Many of you know Phil. He's served for a long time as an elder here at Overlake. Now he's involved in our Serve the World team. And Phil was actually over uh, in Europe with Giselle on the trip that she mentioned that she was on. And, and he encountered uh, so many of the same kinds of stories that Giselle has recounted. He, he talked about speaking with pastors about the hope that they see and about the way that God is moving in so many different lives and so many different hearts as the refugees are coming through. And, and this is what he says. I close with the amazement of a former Muslim who has freshly encountered Jesus. I cannot believe it. It's too good to be true. Jesus died for me. He forgives all my sin. And this joy that I feel, it's like nothing I've ever experienced in all my life. There is nothing I would not do for Jesus. He is my Lord. He is my love. He is my Savior and my closest friend. My only regret is that I did not meet him sooner. What a beautiful picture, right? What what an appropriate picture. And if you're here today and you're a Jesus follower, you know what it's like to experience that for the first time, that love of Jesus, that grace of Jesus, that it's too good to be true experience. It is true. Jesus loves you. It is true. Jesus forgives you. It is true that there is a purpose and a meaning for your life. It is true that there is a joy and an abundance that we can embrace in this life and for eternity. And that man has experienced it. Because in transition, we're in need. And in transition, we are open to God's love. So as I wrap up our time, I just want to draw your attention back to the hourglass, which it's now empty, by the way. You're dead. Uh, <laughs> didn't turn out to be as inspiring as I thought. Uh, but uh, but it's, it's going to go quickly for each one of us. We've got such a brief time here in this thing called life. And so I just want to encourage you as I kick my water off the stage. I want to encourage you to live as fully and as bravely and as beautifully as you know how. I want to encourage you to love God and to love people and to serve the world. And let your mission give your life meaning. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes and let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We have to begin and end in gratitude because we are so grateful for the way that you've loved us, the way that you've served us, the way that you've laid everything down so that we might experience life abundantly and life eternal. Thank you. Jesus, we soak in your love today. And as we soak it in, we ask that you would show us where where we go to care for the marginalized, to care for those displaced, to care for those in need in our own backyard as well as the Syrian refugees that are migrating through Europe right now. Lord, we ask that you would show us clearly how that we might be involved, how we might show your love, how we might serve this world that is in such need. And Jesus, we do want to take just a moment to lift these refugees up to you now. We know that you know everyone. You know their names. You know their stories. You know their histories. You know know the children that are involved. You love each one of them. Jesus, you died on the cross for all of them. And so we lift them to you now. 
We ask that you would use your church, not just Overlake, but the church universal, to communicate your love clearly to these refugees. Please use your church to serve the world that you love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.